Well, we're here. Uh, and this is a really, really exciting time, the, the kickoff of Region 17. I know uh, many of you have been uh, looking at the calendar now for months. Many of your pastors and, and other volunteers have been getting ready, and now we, we finally come to camp. And uh, let me just say, we're, we're so thankful to have you here. We're really looking forward to this week. We think it's going to be a great time. We, I think we have over 1,000 people here, which is a, a, the biggest one yet. And of that, uh, half of you are new. So we're really looking forward to getting to meet all of you. Uh, it, it's really going to be a great week. And I hope, student, I hope you're looking forward to this. Uh, we're going to have a great time of games. Uh, we've got a talent show we'll be talking about later this week. We've got all sorts of fun happening. But, but I want to let you know, for me, I love camp. I got saved as a camp, at a camp as a non-Christian. I'm from an unsaved family. Um, I, I've been now to some 30 or 40-some camps. I love a lot of the different aspects of camp. But my favorite thing about camp, and the thing I'm most looking forward to, and the thing you need to be most looking forward to, is what happens in this room. There's a lot of things we're here for, but the primary thing that we're here for this week is to gather together and hear from a book. Not just any book, but this book, the Bible, to hear from the Word of God. I know there's a lot of maybe different reasons why you came to camp, but I want to challenge you that when you come in here as we get together, that, that you would be focused and ready to hear from God's Word because this book that we study, that you have copies of, that we read, and that I will preach from, and Pastor John will preach from, and Austin will preach from, this book is not just a book. It is the very Word of God spoken to us. God, the Creator of the universe, did not leave us to wonder about who he is or what he's like, but he revealed himself clearly in the scripture. And we get to see that. You know what I'm most excited about? Is what happens when this word is taught. And we see the great God work in lives and change hearts and convict of sin. I don't know why you thought you were here this week. Maybe you're here for games or for friends or for a plenty of other reasons, but I, I know this. You're here because God wants you to be here, and He wants you to hear His Word, and He wants to do business in your heart this week. And so my encouragement to you as you show up here, come ready, come ready to listen, come ready to take notes. Know that people are praying for you. We've been praying for you as a church. I know pastors and elders at your church and parents have been praying for you. Come ready to hear God's Word and see what it says to your life. So with that, let me, let me just go ahead and open up in prayer. And then we'll begin looking at God's word tonight. Father, we thank you so much for the time we have. Thank you for bringing everyone here. Every single soul that is here has been brought here sovereignly by your plan. We pray, Lord, that your word would not return void. We ask you to, to speak life into dead bones that are here. We ask you to sanctify us in your truth. Lord, we thank you for your spirit. Please use your words for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, my goal tonight is really to set the table. Uh, you're gonna hear seven different sermons this week, and, and I just kinda wanna get you prepared for how you should be thinking about these 
as you show up. I'm kind of the, the leadoff hitter in baseball. I just want to get on base. We've got some power hitters coming after, so let me just kind of set the table for them. That's really what I'm looking forward to do, and I want to help you consider how you should think about this week. And if you have your Bibles, which you should, and we'll have extras for tomorrow in case you forgot, so look on with someone next to you, turn to Psalm 117. Psalm 117. Tonight's not going to be what each sermon normally is going to look like. Each sermon usually will be one passage that we'll look at. Tonight, I have a couple of passages that I want us to look at, and I just really want to establish our theme for the week. I have a direction that I want to go, and if you have your booklets, you'll see that there's a place to take notes. You should take notes, uh, and there's three things that I want us to see, three truths that we'll see tonight as we walk through this passage. And I would remind you, as we look at Psalm 117, that there are some pretty incredible things that come in small packages, right? I mean, right now you look at Psalm 117, and it is a tiny psalm. And typically we think, you know, the bigger something is, the better. And yet we know there's good things to happen in small packages, right? If I were to offer you a mini Reese's, you'd still be in on that. You, you know, you wouldn't turn me down. And we learn that mostly that good things come in small packages here at camp, right? I mean, how often is it? that the, you know, 50-pound freshman boy. Every camp, there's always one that somehow during the mud pit battle is going against the senior guy and he finds a way to win. And if he can't win on the games, well, then he'll at least eat enough food for the size of an adult moose uh, during the lunchtime or something like that, right? We always see that there are great things that happen in small packages. Well, look at Psalm 117. And here's where I want to start tonight. It says... Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples. For his loving kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. And that's it. Now you can see you read a whole chapter of the Bible today. In just two little verses, we did that. It's a small psalm. It's a really little psalm. And yet we find incredible significance. This is a powerful psalm. This is a vital psalm. This is a psalm that we need to hear. And it's important for a number of reasons. One, it is actually the smallest psalm you'll find, which brings some significance to it. Uh, along with that, it's the shortest chapter in the whole Bible. It won't get any easier in your Bible reading plan if you're reading a chapter today than when you read Psalm 117. Boom, we finish it, 15 seconds. But there's some significance to it. Because even though the words are so few, the meaning is so deep. In fact, if you were to take all the chapters of your Bible, line them up from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation, you know what chapter would land right in the middle? Psalm 117. It's at the very heart of the Bible. It's the very heart of the message of God. And what is the theme that we see throughout this psalm? Well, the theme that we see in this psalm is the theme that's going to be our theme for the week, and you could write it down, worship. The theme of this psalm is worship. Notice the first word that he begins with. The psalmist writes, praise the Lord. Praise him. The Hebrew word is hallel. It means, it means to admire, to speak well of, to boast of. It's to declare greatness, right? When you praise somebody, you're exalting them, you're lifting them up. Uh, you are expressing their worth, their value. This is the call of the psalmist here. It even ends with the word praise. It begins with praise and it ends with praise. Adoration for the Lord. Notice the second command, laud him. 
It's not a word that we typically use. You might have a different word. If you're using an ESV, the word is going to be exalt or extol. The idea, again, is to lift up, to praise. Another word would be to to glorify, to to attribute greatness to. Uh, The idea is to really speak well of. uh, the, The image I always get on the human level, though it's so much smaller, is when you see these teams win a championship and they always have the parade going through the city. So you see the confetti going down. There's the speeches. They're celebrating the greatness of that team. Well, that word laud means extol, lift up, speak of the greatness of him. This is our theme as we look at worship. We're looking at Psalm 117. This idea of worship, and the psalmist writes praise and laud. Three things I said I wanted you to learn tonight as we're looking at a few different verses about our theme of worship. Here's the first thing. God's call to all people is worship. God's call to all people is worship, and namely to worship Him. He calls in this psalm all peoples, all nations, all cultures, all generations, all ages of people to come and worship Him. This is not just a local message. This is not just a message for those who have grown up in church. This is a call to every single person who's ever been born to come before the Lord and worship Him, to praise Him. You know, we see this in other parts of Scripture. You know, John chapter 4, Jesus actually says that the Father is seeking worshipers. He's looking for those who would worship Him, not merely just acknowledge Him, not merely just associate with Him, but those who worship the God of the universe. You know, earlier I said that this is the very Word of God. You know what's great about the Bible? And I think this will help a lot of you. If you're new and you've never read a Bible before, you know what the theme of this book is? The theme of this book is God. It's not us. You know, it's not a a little road map so I can figure out all the ways to make my life happy. The theme is God. From, From Genesis to Revelation, this is a book primarily about God. And yet we see at the heart of the Bible what the human response should be, which is worship, praise. Now let's talk definitions. What is worship? I wonder as I say that, what pops into your mind? What do you think of when you think of worship? I mean, we use this word a lot, especially if you're in church, you have have worship centers, worship services, worship albums, worship music. Hey, it's uh, time for worship. The so-and-so is going to do the call to worship today. What is worship? Right? We never want want to make sure that we're uh, using a word that we don't know what it actually means. So what is worship? What is it? Well, some of you might define it differently. Some of you might think worship is singing on Sunday. So on Sunday morning when we get together and sing, that is worship. Or for others of you, maybe worship is a feeling, right? Maybe the last night of camp, it's real emotional, or your favorite songs got sung, or you know, you're a big, big fan of the acoustic and the cajon, and you know, all of a sudden you just really feel good worship. Maybe that's not what you think of worship. Maybe you think of worship, you kind of have the idea of bowing down to statues. And so you think of kind of old style of worship or what we think is ancient worship. Other religions that have this this real system of religious activities they have to do. I mean, even at at our church uh, in Los Angeles, right down the street, uh, we we have a Buddhist temple down the street, big golden statue and all sorts of religious activities going on. Maybe that's your idea of, of worship. Or maybe worship is when... You, know, you get your friends together, you go to the beach, 
He's got an acoustic guitar, and there's that one guy who's always hoping you'll all sing together. If you don't live in California, you go to the mountains. I think that's the substitute. But anyway, and you're thinking, hey, let's, let's just have a real good worship sesh. And that guy that's always got his guitar in the car, he's just pumped. You know, this is like his day. But anyway, right, that's, what do you think of when you think of worship? It's vital we understand. If this is the, the key theme to Scripture, then what does it mean? Well, we're going to walk through that in all the, the sessions. All the sermons you're going to hear, we're going to unpack what does it mean to worship. But I want to help you. I, I want to help you. Do you realize that the word worship comes from the word worth Ship, worth, value, how you view some, what kind of worth you assign to an object. When I was in college, I had to take an economics class. Uh, and I liked math, so it was like word problems all day. And, uh, you know, in this class, you know, you're learning all sorts of things. What's a good market to invest? What's a bad market to invest? You know, things that I, I clearly forgot couple weeks right after the class. But one of the things that I do remember is that there's a term that they use in that class. And it, it's this phrase that's called what the market will bear. And like, what does that mean? What the market will bear? Well, what that means is when a company is selling a product, part of how they decide how much that product is, is they ask the question, well, how much will people spend on it? Right? You know, so if they're, you know, if they're selling gum, they're going, okay, well, maybe in an airport, they'll spend six bucks on it because they're desperate, so we'll triple everything. You know, but uh, you know, at a regular grocery store or something, you know, maybe two bucks or something for gum. You know, something that's more valuable to you, like a video game system, hey, they're gonna throw a few hundred dollars on that. You know, they're thinking, oh, these little spinny fidgeters things or whatever these are, oh, these are dumb. Well, they spend, oh, they'll spend tons of money on it? Okay, $10, that's what we'll throw on that. How many people brought that to camp this week? You need to throw that out right away. Anyway, moving on from there. Right? It's this idea of how much is something worth. And so, you know, think about it. High schoolers, if you've got a school where there's homecoming or prom, that's something that's valuable. And that's why it's approximately $750 rent a tux for one night. Something like that. That's why a lot of you, you don't have a lot of cash, so you love Taco Bell because it's one of the few things you can actually afford. And that's, that's okay by me, right? It's, it's how much are you willing to spend on something? Well, worship has the idea of value of something being worth. In fact, it goes beyond that. When you think of the word worship, another word you could use is treasuring. Worship, when you worship something, what you do is you are saying that this is the thing in my life, in my heart, that has the most amount of value, the most supreme worth, the thing I delight in the most, the thing I adore the most, the thing that fires me up the most. That is the thing that I worship. I love that definition, worship. What is, has the most worth in your heart? I want to help unpack this. So if you have your Bible, go, if you would, to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. We'll return to Psalm 117, but go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 is in this chapter where Jesus is, is teaching in parables. These little illustrations that, that give a, a picture of, of the truth of the gospel. And in Matthew 13, he's talking about what is a, a real believer. And he says this in verse 44, he starts with the kingdom of heaven. And what he's saying is this is what it's like for those who are in the kingdom. This is a picture of those who belong to the kingdom of God. And he says in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, 
which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Two different parables. One, a guy finds a treasure, hides it in the field, sells everything, buys the field. The other fine guy, guy finds a pearl and he sells all that he has and he buys the pearl. What do we see in common in these parables? Well, what we see is a man in both of them that finds something so valuable and of so much worth and that would bring his heart so much delight that nothing else compares to it. He's willing to give up everything else for the value of this treasure or for the value of this pearl. That's what worship looks like. To worship God, to be a follower of God, to be a worshiper of him, is to say he has the most value and I would give all for him. I think that's helpful as we look at our definition. You know, sometimes when we think about worship, we think as worship is something we experience. You know, we show up and we hope the worship's good so we feel good. You know, worship is not something that happens to you, friends. Worship is something that you give. You give worship to something. You give worship. And in this case, it's to give worship to God, to treasure Him where He is of most value. But this then takes us to our second truth I want to highlight. Highlight number one, God wants us to worship Him. He calls all people to worship Him. Here's number two, though. Everyone worships something. You see, what I just described in that parable of the treasure in the field, you know, of the, the great pearl, that doesn't just happen in religion, right? It's not just religious people who have something that's their ultimate, who have something that they love more than anything else, that have something that's the number one thing on their list. It's not just religious people. Everyone worships. Would you agree with that? All people worship? You might be thinking, okay, I get that most people worship, but Josh, not everyone goes to church. I got a lot of people in my school who don't go to church. Or if they actually go to a different church, a uh, different kind of church, we, we would say that they're not Christians. Are they really worshiping? Well, I would agree with that. Correct. Maybe not everyone is singing worship songs. But everyone, including you, everyone has something that is their ultimate that they love more than anything else, that they would be willing to sacrifice other things for, something that sits on the throne of their heart. I mean, we see this with all sorts of things, even just crazy things. I remember uh, reading a story one time. There was a guy in Baltimore whose nickname was The Goof on the Roof. That's a great nickname right there, or an awesome band if any of you were looking to start one. The Goof, the goof on the Roof. And here's what he said. He was a Baltimore Ravens fan. And he said, I will sit on this roof until the Ravens win another game. Man, I was, I'm like really hoping I hear that. It was really cold. What a silly way to live, right? You hear that, but that's his ultimate, the Ravens winning. I, I met a guy on the way here. I was in Kingman, Arizona at 2 a.m. in the morning at the Flying J, where I frequent often at 2 a.m. in the morning. Okay, not really. But I met a guy there who had a, a T-shirt that was decorated like the movie Cars. Um, 
We'll see where this is going. And I started talking to him, and it turns out that this guy is a huge historian of Route 66. And he wanted to tell me about this old highway that was in Kingman that none of us really use anymore because we use the freeway. For this guy, his treasure, his ultimate, was this old car road that people would take. You see, the human heart was made for worship. And that's both religious and irreligious senses. I mean, you, you look at the Bible and you see all over in the Old Testament, the Jews consistently falling into idolatry. And, and you see over and over again, all the pagan religions, they have their own gods. It's made for worship. But even today, where religion is frowned upon, I, I remember watching a, a soccer game recently, uh, one of these English soccer teams. And it said, you know, here's our team name, join the religion. Right, you get the message there. This is your number one. You're a part of this. Or you see these music fanatics that follow around their favorite artists, their favorite band. All people have something that's ultimate. You know, I was reading one time a, a, an article from the 1800s written by a guy named Thomas Chalmers. And he has this article called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Not explosive. Calm down, freshman boys. It's okay. Expulsive means to expel. And here's what he's saying in this article. He writes, the human heart has to have something at all times that's their most consuming passion. And so Chalmers writes, he says, take a look at a young man. In his teens, he may love pleasure. But as he gets older, he realizes he wants money. So he gets disciplined because money is now the thing he loves. And as he gets money, suddenly career status is what he wants or political influence, or future security. And so he changes life habits. And throughout the years, one ultimate love is replaced by another ultimate love, which is replaced by another ultimate love. But the human heart is never without an ultimate love. How many of you as a kid ever played King of the Hill? Right, maybe you know, out in a field, or maybe what we used to play is because we played in the pool, all us basketball guys. Uh, we'd get on the, see who could stay on the raft and the rest of us try to throw them off. That worked until someone bumped their head. We were done with that game because we were far too big for the little pool. But what's happening in your heart is this battle of king of the hill. What's gonna reign supreme? What will be the ultimate love in your life? It could be a lot of different things. Even here tonight, maybe power, prestige, money. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's popularity. You know, I know we joked about it earlier, but in all seriousness, maybe, maybe for some of you, that thing that's the ultimate in your life right now is a relationship or pleasure or a sport. Everyone worships. The question is not, do you worship? The question is, what do you worship? By the way, keep in mind that as this parable that we looked at, the, you know, the hidden treasure, the costly pearl, as you look at that parable, Jesus is, is within the greater context talking about true and false believers. He's been doing so since when he did the parable, verse 24, of the, the tares and the wheat. That there's true believers and there's false believers that really look like it. You want to know the difference between a true and false Christian? A true believer worships God. A false believer just associates with him. Wait, let me say that again. Because you, you got to make sure you hear that this week. If you're new... If you're new, you're probably uh, familiar with fake news, fake Twitter accounts, but there's something called a fake Christian. 
there's false converts, counterfeit faith. And counterfeit faith is different than genuine faith because counterfeit faith might associate with God. Genuine faith worships him and treasures him and loves him more than anything else. Maybe not perfectly, but he is the supreme love and pursuit of their life. So what do we see? We see everybody worships was number two. Number one, God has called all people to worship. Let me give you the third thing I want you to consider this week. And it's this, worship affects your life. What you worship will affect your life. Go to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six is a really, really familiar passage. Verse 19. That's where we'll begin. Matthew six, verse 19. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal. Verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now we stop right there. Jesus right there gives two different comparisons. We're familiar with these. One is to invest in earthly treasures. One is to say, I'm living for the things of this world. I'm living for the here and now. I'm living for what I can get. And the others say you live for heaven, right? You, you live for the eternal. You invest in things that are eternal. You don't satisfy the, the current cravings. You say, I'm living by faith, living for the future, right? And we see this behavior thing. Here's two different ways that you could choose to live. But then look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you know what dictates what you live for in verse 19 and 20? Do you know what dictates whether you're, in this passage, living for the treasures on earth or treasures in heaven? Even just a different, you know what dictates your actions? It's verse 21, your heart. It's what you live for. Jesus even says in verse 24, no one could serve two masters. Right? There's, it will be a master that you love. And what you worship, what you treasure will affect your actions. Right, how many of you, raise, raise your hand if you have a favorite sporting team that you've, you've been to their game before. You're all in. This guy right in the front. Yeah, what's your favorite team? The Houston Astros. They're a baseball team, for those of you who are not familiar with the, with the sports. Uh, okay, have you been to a game? Yes. What do you wear to the game? You wear Astros jerseys, right? Be, or not maybe multiple jerseys. Let's singularize that. You wear an Astro jersey, right? You wear one jersey to the game because you love the team, right? Now, how many of you have ever been to a baseball game before and you didn't wear a jersey? You just kind of dress normally, right? And that's because maybe you're not quite as into it. Maybe you don't have time to run home, right? But because this guy, he likes the Astros, that's okay. We're not picking on you. It's fine. Uh, although Halos would be a better choice, but we'll move on from there, right? This guy, no, I'm Texas, Texas is okay. It's a joke. Now, Right? People love their team, so they're motivated to show up really early and to put on the jerseys and to learn the chants and to follow the players, right? Because that's something that's of value to them. What we value affects our interests. How many, you know, how many of you like flying? Who actually likes flying? How many of you can't stand flying? Who doesn't like it? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. You want to know why? Because I'm six foot four, and they were built for people who were five two. 
right? It's just, it's just never comfortable on a plane. I get hot and sweaty. The person sitting next to me gets uncomfortable. I say, sorry, honey, uh, it'll be over soon. And it's, you know, it's totally okay, right? I don't like flying, but when my sister lived in Hawaii, and I was like, ooh, I like me some Hawaii. I can endure what seems like six months on an airplane if it knows that I'm going to somewhere. Why? Because it, there's something that I value and it affects how I act. In the same way, what you worship day by day will influence how you live day by day. Without a worship of God, you will not live for God. You know, I don't know what kind of year you're coming in here with. Maybe you just finished your freshman year of high school and you're going, man, that was rough. That, that didn't really go as well as I wanted it to. Uh, I compromised in ways I probably shouldn't have. Or maybe you're going into your senior year and going, man, I've wasted these last three years. Or maybe you're a believer, but there's that sin issue that you're dealing with that you're trying to weed out. You know what all three of those things have in common? At the root of the issue is a worship problem. Maybe it's popularity. Maybe it's a sinful pleasure. Maybe it's something else. But worship affects our behavior. That's what we'll be looking at this week. Three things. God calls us to worship. Everyone worships. And worship affects your life. We're going to be looking at those three. And I think you should think about those as you come in. And let me give you, as, as you get ready now with those three in mind, let me give you just two questions to consider for the week. Let me just say, I'm so glad you're here. And I would really, I'm really as I was thinking through this sermon and, and praying uh, about it, I'm really praying you would take the time to consider this. Two questions. Number one, number one, what do I worship? Or who do I worship? What is of the most supreme value in your heart? I pray that the Lord would help you to search your heart this week, help reveal where, where your heart stands. Do you worship the God of the universe where all our affections should lie? Or is there something else? A sport, a hobby, even just love of self. What is it that you worship? And the number two question to ask, how is your worship shaping you? How is what you're worshiping having an effect on your life? Be good to ask those questions, maybe throughout small groups, maybe through one-on-one -on -one times, even as you get your own devotionals in the morning. Find times to ask those questions this week. And before I conclude, and we'll sing one more song, I want to give you a help, and I want to give you a challenge. I want to give you a help, and I want to give you a challenge, and they're the one and the same, a help and a challenge. For those of you that are Christians, for the, and, and we're going to go back to Psalm 117, for those of you that are Christians, I, I, that are maybe struggling or that want to grow this week, or maybe you know you worship the Lord, but you don't worship Him as you ought. I want to help you. And for maybe those of you that aren't believers, that don't worship the God of the Bible, that don't treasure Him, I want to challenge you this week. I want to challenge you. My challenge comes from Psalm 117, and here's my challenge. Consider God. Consider the person of God. Consider this week who he is and what it is that he has done. You know, I don't know if it's all the same, but when I was in high school, they had us read some Greek mythology. And so one of the things, when I shared this illustration with our group a couple weeks ago, uh, one of the things that you see in Greek mythology is these creatures known as the sirens. 
right? Sailors are sailing along. These, these creatures sing beautifully. The sailors are attracted and they go and they crash along the rocks. And really, we see two different ways the sirens are dealt with in Greek mythology. One is with a guy named Odysseus. A lot of you maybe are familiar with this. Odysseus says to his men, I want you to plug your ears. I want you to block out the sound of the sirens. And then they tie him to a post so he can't do anything and that's how they escape it. There's another one. Greek mythology, Jason and the Argonauts. But they deal with the sirens differently. See, Jason, what he does is he has a guy that's sailing with him named Orpheus. And Orpheus plays the harp. And what happens when the sirens begin to sing is that Orpheus plays the harp. And he actually plays it more beautifully and more attractively than the sirens. So that they don't even care about the siren song. They're just mesmerized by what he's playing. You know where the biggest mistake happens with a lot of young people? Is that in their attempt to worship God is all just reject the world. So their attempt to worship God is let me block out the world, let me block out the structures. Every single day I'm just trying to say no. Instead of just resisting, which is a big part of it, you know what I want you to do? Is behold God and be captivated by the greatness of who he is and the splendor of who he is and the beauty of his character. Did you remember what I read? I'll read it again in Psalm 117. He says, praise the Lord, laud him all peoples. Why? For his loving kindness is great toward us and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. You know what the psalmist says? He says, praise the Lord for who he is. You know what you see every time when you look in scripture when there's worship? It's always for God's character. It's always for Christ's character. I mean, look at Revelation. You see God being worshiped as creator. You see Christ being worshiped as the redeemer. Friend, this week as Pastor John preaches, Austin preach. Don't just hear how to worship. Listen to the God that calls us to worship him. Because what you'll see is he's no tyrant. He's not making claims that he does not deserve but you will see a God that is beautiful and glorious and greater than we are with perfect justice and unimaginable holiness and incredible love. And when you gaze into the beauty of who he is, you will see it's very clear. He is worthy of our worship. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together. Lord, I pray that you would just take these simple truths that we've considered here. Lord, I pray that your word would work in our heart this week. Pray that as we listen to the sermons, as we take notes, even as we go into small groups to discuss them, God, that you would do a work on our heart. Lord, we are small creatures, and you are our great creator who is worthy of worship. Let us praise and extol your great name. It's your son's precious name we pray. Amen.